This episode of Command Edit is brought to you by Studio Network Solutions. Their Evo shared storage systems are for post-production workgroups ranging anywhere from one to four users, all the way to state-of-the-art post facilities with over a petabyte of storage. Every Evo includes their easy-to-use media management software for organizing, tagging, and finding your media across all of your storage devices, even external, local, and cloud services. On top of that, all of their Evo systems have native Avid project bin sharing, project locking for Adobe Premiere, library sharing for Final Cut Pro X, and a bunch of other workflow features you and your team will love. To learn more about Evo shared storage systems, visit studionetworksolutions.com slash command edit. So I'm joined once again with Rhonda. Listeners of the podcast will recognize her voice. How's it going tonight? Not too bad, Nick. How about you? Doing all right. Thanks for filling the virtual seat while Josh takes a vacation off to L.A. No problem. This is the special edition all-Canadian episode. Exactly. Yeah. I don't get any weird talk back from him whenever I mention things like, you know, our milk bags or, you know, our HST and stuff like that. How many kilometers away is uh, your job right now from where you live? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have no, no idea the looks I get from him when, you know, trying to deal with metric and yeah, just never mind. He'll probably never even listen to this anyway, so we can trash talk <laughs> him all we want. <laughs> That's what he gets for going on vacation, though. Exactly, exactly. So for those who aren't aware, uh, he's also kind of confiscated the uh, command edit uh, Twitter account while uh, he's zipped off to L.A. And I think he's uh, connecting with a few of our listeners or some of our fans over there while he's at it. I told him to bring a mic along and you know try to record some material while he's down there. So not totally a you know casual vacation. You know, you can write the whole trip off. There you go. Yeah. Just record like two minutes and there. Trip is a business trip. But anyways, while he's away, we'll have some fun here. So um, it's also kind of a, you know, kind of a winding down of the year episode because as uh, we just recorded, uh, Josh and I are uh, kind of our Christmas wish list uh, for editors episode, which should be coming out next week. So I, I feel like we're just getting into the, you know, settling into the end of 2017, looking forward to what 2018 is going to bring. And I feel like that attitude is just starting to settle in now for a lot of people as we're trying to get this year done with this hellish muck of a year that I'm sure lots of people are just going to be so happy to see behind us. Um, but, uh, you know, looking back on this year, you know, even just like career wise, what has this year meant for you? This year has been work wise, one of the busiest, I think of my career. So it's been pretty stressful, but at the same time, a lot of great stuff happened. Personally, my sister got married. So, um, that was very exciting. Work-wise, it has been awesome, busy, fulfilling, busy, busy, <laughs> and very busy. So I was hoping to get a little bit of downtime after my last crazy contract, but that wasn't in the cards, and now I'm uh, running off into the arms of another contract, which uh, such is the life of a freelancer. 
just going from one right to the next. And when you say busy, do you mean, you know, uh, no downtime in between projects or like long work days, 18 hour work days on certain jobs? I mean, both of those things. All of the above, of course. Yeah. yeah. So I, uh, I started the year with a lot of development work. So I was editing a lot of sizzle reels and, and you know, trying to get some TV shows off the ground for various companies, uh, which rolled into a big contract with, um, you know, Brother vs. Brother season five, which took a couple months. Summer, same thing, rolling right back into development rolled back into another Property Brothers show for four months. So maybe I've had like a week or two off this year. But really? it's been, yeah. yeah, it's been a lot of like 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., you know, not just Monday to Friday, but like Monday to Saturday, Monday to Sunday. Yikes. There's yeah. not been a lot of rest for the wicked. And has that been by choice like i really want to get ahead so i'll put in the extra time here or has that just been the demand of the jobs like i'm trying to get an idea is that you know because i just recently you know i'm moving into the city as well very very slowly incredibly yeah. slowly but uh like for those who are kind of like freelancing and maybe trying to head in that same direction is that like par for the course is that what they, they they should just come to expect not just when they're starting out but even after they're a few years into their career um i mean so it's freelancing right you get out of it what you put into it and so i mean the advice i like to give which i absolutely never follow is turning down work can be a good thing but when you're starting out that is just mostly an impossibility you take every single thing that comes at you when you're starting out right like when i first started um you know working in television here in toronto i was working literally three jobs i would i had a night job and then you know from nine to five i would split it between two part-time editing jobs so i was gone from eight in the morning until midnight five days a week for months on end because I wanted to get my name out there. I wanted to, you know, work my butt off, make some contacts, network. I couldn't say no because I wanted people to know me. Um, now that I'm a little bit more established, it's still the fear of, you know, n not having work, right? Like if I, I just finished a big crazy contract in a big crazy year, but I was just offered, you know, say four weeks worth of work I'm not going to turn that down just to have a month of downtime as a freelancer I feel like well you know a month of work is a lot of work so hmm. and in the nature of the business with editing as I'm sure you know things can snowball really quickly oh it will only take a couple of days turns into like two months so, yeah. I mean, that's just the nature of it, right? Yeah, yeah, no, I know what you mean. And it uh, it does seem like if anything does come your way, if anything does get offered to you, the answer that you feel like you should be giving is just say yes. Yeah. Uh, because you, d yes, the, you know, the, there's that whole idea that turning down work, yes, should be a good thing. You shouldn't be afraid of it. But then there's this other little fear that sits in the back of your head. But if you say no, you don't know when the next offer is going to be. Plus, mm -hmm. and every time that you turn down work, 
what if they say, oh, he's just, you know, he or she is just not available, so they're never going to come back to me. That sort of yeah. thing. Like, you've always got to make yourself available because the minute you don't, they'll go to somebody else, and then you're kind of shuffled off. Absolutely. But, I mean, at the same time, that all being said, it is really, really important to have boundaries. I more recently over the past few years have started turning down work which i hate doing but i always try to look at sort of a few things right i my my steadfast rule now is i do not take a second job if it's spring or if it's summer if it's nice weather i refuse to take a second job i will not work nights i want to enjoy the sunshine if it's winter it's already dark at 5 p.m i hate my life enough <laughs> I might as well chain myself to a desk for another six hours a day, right? Um, so that's sort of, that's a rule that I have set in place for myself. It's not necessarily that I won't take on a second job, but, you know, I like to take a look at what's what's coming up. Do I have a lot of stuff, you know, personally coming up versus, hmm, would I like to have a little extra spending money versus am I going to get any actual sleep the next one uh when's the last time you you actually had a good night's rest oh um it's been a while but mostly (laughs) mostly not because i haven't had the time but mostly i'm I'm a bit of a stressor so i go to bed with a busy mind Mm. do you have a routine when you're like settling into the evening to kind of like prepare you for for a good night rest i i tend to when i get home from work I'm, I'm, I'm a morning person, which is kind of contrary to what a lot of editors are. A lot of editors are night hawks. They like to come into the office, you know, whenever they want. They'd rather work till, you know, midnight. That's not me. I'd rather get up at like six o'clock in the morning and go to the office. So for me, when the day is done, the day is done. I, you know, I come home, I have, I guess my routine would be just to make dinner and, and you know, find something to try and quiet my mind. But if I am working on a show, you know, right now I just started a new contract, a new project, uh, and I'm trying to work out a lot of editing problems, you know, the balance becomes, how do I get some relax time, but still kind of work through some of these problems that I don't necessarily have to be at a computer to work out these editing problems, but, you know, how to approach, how a scene will go together, um, you know, or, or direction I want to take something. Hmm. Um, and that to me is like, you know, I'll either, you know, put on some music or maybe do a little brainstorm session. I do a lot of brainstorming for my editing. Um, you know, I'll wake up early and I'll go for a run and I'll kind of work through it that way. So even if I'm not necessarily in the office, I'm, I'm kind of working on something in my head. Unfortunately, you don't get paid for that, which is kind of crappy, but. I don't know why, like that should be billable hours. Right I think there. so. Yeah. I realized we, kind of, we were getting kind of into your personal life for a second. Yeah, like, yeah I'm also I did, like, wow, okay. And yeah. how does that make you feel? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, but I just got interested for a second because lately as, as well, yeah, sleep has become a mighty big challenge. And I think for the first 32 years of my life, sleep was my game. I could like, oh, yeah. I could sleep at the drop of a hat, standing up, sitting down, lying down, hanging upside down. It doesn't matter. And I'll zip right into deep sleep. No problem at all. But that all changed this year. So lately, the name of the game has been how to prime yourself 
for a good night's rest so that you don't burn out over the course of oh. a week or a month. Absolutely. And the, the difficult thing with editing and, and you know, filmmaking in, in particular is that, look, we're in, we're in a profession or, you know, some people do it as a hobby in addition to having another full-time job. It's, it's a time-consuming it's a time-consuming thing. The reality is that we work a lot of long hours, and sometimes we work a lot of weird hours, and sometimes it becomes very crushing, and you just, you know, you, you stress yourself to a point that maybe you're not sleeping that well. But the best part is it's always temporary. There's no editing, like, there's no one editing project that goes and goes and goes. There it's one of those this too shall end no matter how crazy the contract how crazy the film you're working on there will be an end date which is kind of the best thing but being able to still be creative and bring an energy to a project when you're exhausted can be a really really difficult balance and mm -hmm. so you have to you know find ways and and you you learn this after doing it for a while you find ways to you know keep that keep those creative juices flowing even though maybe you're you know you're burned out you're stressed out you're overtired you know we get paid to or um in some cases it's you know like a, a pet project or personal project and you still need to be able to bring your best even if you can't even if you don't feel your best mm. actually you just gave me a good gift idea for most of my editor friends i need like this too shall end yeah plaqued so they can hang above their monitors or something yeah. like that you know that might be construed as a threat so careful <laughs> <laughs> yeah could take it positively or negatively you know t take it however you like whatever has the desired effect i guess hmm. but yeah. I, re I remember um years ago a university professor once told me um in, in terms of writing an exam, before you start writing, read everything. Read every question, read all the content, because even if you're working on something else, even if you're writing another question, part of your brain that you're not actually gonna be conscious of will be working on going through those problems. So for example, you know, you know how you'll be, you'll be trying to think of a word and it's on the tip of your tongue and you just can't get there. And three hours later, you'll be in the middle of a conversation and you'll go, oh my God, that was the word. Part of your brain, you're not conscious of it. Part of your brain is working on those solutions, even if you're not actually aware of it. And so if you can find a way to kind of work with that creatively, like do, you know, if you're stuck on a scene, if you're creatively, you're tired and you can't, you know, get past a mental block, move on to a different scene or, you know, go for a walk or have a conversation with another editor. Just step away for a few minutes because part of your brain will still be trying to focus on that. Part of it will still be trying to figure out a solution. And, you know, by not focusing on something, too hard sometimes you know you come back to it with a fresh energy or you might get another idea you know just kind of in the middle of nowhere it might just pop into your head oh my god that's the idea mm -hmm. strangely enough actually lately the stack of books that i've been going that i've been reading through have mostly been about peak performance dealing with stress 
that sort of thing. And mm -hmm. actually, this this book that I finished reading just a couple weeks ago called Peak Performance um, by uh, I think Brad Stuhlberg is his name. Actually, went and, like explained like the science behind that the the eureka effect of like why is it that when you you know you're trying to grind away at an edit and you just can't get this thing and you know or you're trying to remember something but it's just not coming to you and it should be why is it that when you it's when you walk away and literally like you either go for a walk or you're taking a shower or you're doing something absent-mindedly and all of a sudden it just pops in your head it actually kind of it goes into like the science of like why is it that your brain uh all of a sudden when you're taking your mind off the activity at task that you know all of a sudden that aha eureka moment hits you so that, w that was pretty fascinating, but it did involve like, you know, the just taking your mind off of thinking, actively thinking for a second. Mm -hmm. So and, you know, when you're walking, you're not consciously thinking of walking. So, you're, you know, uh, your brain just kind of automatically, you know, does it for you. So your brain is literally shutting off, pausing and I don't know, then it allows for that bandwidth where you can all of a sudden access, you know, those creative parts of your brain where you can like connect those things for you and give you that solution. But anyways, that, that was just a fascinating thing that you just really re reminded me of this thing I read a couple weeks ago where it was like, ah, that that's why that happens. Yeah, well, because we don't work in a job, right? Like I, you know, when I was younger, I worked at different golf courses and, you know, so I would work from six in the morning until sometimes I would have shifts till 10 at night. And at the end of the shift, you go home and, you know, you have a beer and then that's it. Like it's over the shift is done you don't think about it anymore that's not you know filmmaking that's not editing that's you're you're all and if you're working on a project some part of you is always on some part of you is always trying to you know to work through a problem which is why i'm very jealous of camera people by the way now <laughs> why is that okay cut that's a wrap for the day oh great pack up the camera go home like yeah you know? true yeah, there's like a hard in and a hard out time, and yeah, that's just that's just it. But uh, I don't that's, know. That's my own baggage. <laughs> that's a whole other episode. My my uh, my camera person jealous. <laughs> Personally, I go back and forth between envying and then not envying. That's true. camera camera crew that's people. Fair. That's fair. Yeah. So there there are sometimes I think I recall there was there was a feature my very first horror feature that I was cutting where uh, I was cutting while they were filming. And we were filming over like November, December, uh, up here in freezing cold Canada, and uh, all the uh, you know the sets were all built outside, so it was all like exteriors. And then when it was interior, it was like in these sets that were obviously not built to insulate against the cold that had come in. And it's a water-based horror movie, so there you know all the actresses always had to be in water, getting freezing cold, that sort of thing. So here I am, you know, in this building just down the road, nice and warm in a T-shirt and, you know, fuzzy slippers and just like having my hot cocoa doing this edit. And the crew comes in at the end of the day and they're just, you know, frigid. And I go, hey, guys, what? Is it cold outside? <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Like whew, someone turned down the heat. It's, it's too hot in here. Yeah. Didn't make too many friends on that set. No. That's no. Right. No. You were warm, though. Yeah. You don't need friends if you're warm. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, there's, you know, a bit on uh, on 
burnout anyways but uh, hopefully this year hasn't uh, you know it's been more gain than cost oh, no. for you it's been uh, it's it's been great the last couple weeks were were a lot but you know that's what I'd say. I'd come home at the end of the day and I'd say, you know what, this is something. Okay, so I worked, you know, long hours and I've worked, you know, 12 days in a row. But I'm not, no one's life is in my hand. I'm having fun. I'm making television. You know, I work with some really, really excellent, fun people. And, uh, you know, for me, the key especially, and it's you know when you're 20 people say this to you a lot and you kind of roll your eyes and go yeah whatever and then you know the older you get the more you give this advice to people but it's stay healthy or or get healthy because you know it's for me probably not super healthy to sit at a desk or I have a, a, a very desk so I stand often but to sit at a computer or be at a computer you know 12 hours a day for 10 days in a row on those off hours, you know, eating healthy and getting out, going for a run or going for a walk, like that's how you stay healthy, not only physically, but mentally, because I would not be able to, you know, work these hours and be creative day after day after day if I didn't, you know, take care of number one. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that actually a lot of people overlook. Like, yeah, you know, physical health and you know eating right and staying in shape. Yeah, that's one thing. But a lot of people overlook this part. Mental. And, yeah. He's, point, he's pointing to his head. Yeah. <laughs> oh right, this is this is this, audio, yeah, this, not not visual. Right, right. Um, but yeah, that that uh, you know the good old computer that you got up in your in your head here, and uh, you know when that burns out, yeah, well. When you run out of creative juices or really you stop giving a shit about the work. <laughs> but, but see, that's not a great position to be in either. And I always try to not get to the point where I don't care anymore. I don't <laughs> say I don't care anymore, but that's never actually the case. <laughs> yeah, trust me. We, we've anymore. all been there. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. No. Well, cool. Uh, and is uh, anything on, on the way for 2018 for uh, hopefully... It, would you want 2018 to be a repeat of that? Like, do you want like nonstop work constantly, you know, pushing to get ahead or do you want something to change up a little bit? I would love for 2018 to be very similar, but with a break between contracts. I haven't had a, a significant break between my contracts in I think two or three years. But at the same time, you know, I'm not gonna turn down a big contract just so I can, you know, take some time away. But I, uh, no, I have another uh, show with the Property Brothers coming up in uh, in 2018. So that's that's uh, spring, I guess, or late winter, early spring. So there is still potential for uh, for some time off, maybe a vacation. Oh. I keep saying, oh, I can't, you know, I can't turn down work, you know, I need to keep a roof over my head and make money. But at the same time, then I'm like, oh, apparently all I do is work. So I need to find some vacation time to go, uh, you know. Yeah. There's, even if you love your job, you got to find, you know, uh, find a way to avoid the whole living to work mm -hmm. trap that people find themselves in. Oh, which is tough. And it's really easy to do in this business. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you get into the habit of that early on and, 
you know you feel you can't turn stuff down so yeah there's always that anxiety that comes with it um do you have anything to like you know i've got for me i've got racing that's uh the my obstacle course racing that's my that's been my passion for the past couple of years yeah. that's been sort of like my thing to you know when i'm not editing i'm doing oh, that you have to have you have to have a hobby you have to have something that that isn't you know editing to do to keep yourself sane because mm-hmm. i love editing but <laughs> it can actually drive you insane you have to have something else to focus on um so what's yours I general I like to do a lot of running. I haven't been doing nearly as much as I would have liked the last year or so. Um, but that's you know three or so times a week I like to get up. You know no matter what, even in the dead of winter, go outside, go for a run. Good for you. Get some fresh air. Uh, I love to. I I'm a wanderer, and I don't mean that in a weird poetic way. I mean, like, I literally just start walking, and, you know, I'll go for a two- or three-hour walk just around the city or in the ravines, just wandering and thinking. So just generally running or walking. Um, I took up softball this summer. That That was my thing that I said, you know what? Once a week... I will have to leave work at a, at a certain time and I'm going to go play softball. Awesome. You, you got to bring that up with Josh sometime because that's more his language than mine. But uh, Oh, yeah. I uh, am not a softball player. No? I do, I do good at the, the beer drinking part. That's part of it. Yeah, oh, it was I... really nice to be able to, you know, have something where, okay, after work, you know once or twice a week this is what i'm gonna go do and it's not related to work at all i'm not gonna think about work so i was hoping to get you know pick up something for the winter like that but i think i think i'll uh, i'll stick with the running for the winter i'll keep at the running and uh next year i may come chatting with you asking you to, to come join me on some of these races i'm doing so careful yeah i, I the obstacles maybe not i prefer obstacle free running well, actually, I'll still be talking with you. Okay. Because okay. yeah, because there's a, a relay race. I have to put a team together. And uh-huh. Yeah. So I'm I'm looking for a team. Of, uh, you know, I'm trying to assemble the the Avengers for to go run this relay race. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah. Nothing in Toronto. If if we're both running like that, nothing in Toronto is gonna get edited. Yeah, they can get they can get by for two days. I guess. Shut shut down for a little bit, you know. Yeah. Yeah. We <laughs> Anyways, shut. The day we shut down the Toronto television industry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I got a couple hot topics here I wanted to kind of... These have just been things that uh, I've been meaning to discuss. i actually been meaning to discuss with Josh, but hey, he misses out. Yeah. Um, so I try to keep my ear to the ground with just like what things are, you know, what things are being chatted about over in, you know, some forums on Facebook groups and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. then I grab some of the interesting ones just to hang on to. Um, and I just thought uh, we could kind of like bounce them back, back and forth for a little bit. All um, right. So anyways, what uh, I wanted to ask was uh, recently I actually watched a couple. I'll uh, include the links in the description here. I'm sorry. You're actually at a loss here. We're kind of getting you off guard. But uh, there's a couple of video essays on de-aging in cinema. And this has become a bit of a topic more so uh, in recent the yes. recent year with uh, if anybody saw Rogue One that was yeah. a controversial 
movie, I guess, so for a little bit because of uh, bringing some actors back from the dead, quite mm-hmm. literally. Tarkin and uh, Carrie Fisher. Yes, oh. yes. Yeah. Which. Spoiler alert. Sorry, everyone. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you should have seen it by now. Like, yeah. Yeah, statute of limitations. I'm, I'm sure ran out on that. If you were a real Star Wars fan, you would have seen it by now. Yeah, come on. So, you know, it kind of begins with a little bit of Benjamin Button action, where it's just you know manipulation of an actor's face to make them older or make them look younger. Um, kind of skips the makeup process, and also uh, in the event of like bringing an actor back from the dead, what would traditionally would have happened a couple decades ago is you go out and hire a younger actor who looks more the role of you know the deceased actor to you know fill their shoes uh and that's not going to happen anymore and so now with this path we're going down people are starting to chat more and more about uh you know a should it be done for moral reasons b for quality reasons should it be done creatively like does it even look good or you know are people just creeped out by the uncanny valley effect uh and also what does this mean for actors in the future if it means like we can just scan their likeness and then use them in whatever performance that we want them to be in you know without the actual physical actor yeah i um i don't have a problem with it i i think it's a really interesting technology and uh i mean we've been and by we i don't i I guess i mean humanity um we've been trying to kind of do that stuff for a long time so look at gladiator when sir oliver reed died in the middle of filming so what did they do for you know they put him in wherever they could uh for scenes they hadn't shot with him they put another actor in a big dark cloak with a shadow over his face and tried to digitally put in oliver reed's face as best they could and if you weren't looking for it you wouldn't really notice um I think good storytelling is good storytelling and unless the graphics are really bad or the technology looks really bad, we won't care. Cause I mean, creature from the black lagoon is still a classic film. I mean, jaws, it's not a real shark, still one of the best films of all time. If the storytelling is good, I'm not bothered by the technology. I thought the rogue one stuff was really cool. Um, I don't have a problem with it. The having signed TV contracts in, in, in terms of what it means for actors going forward. And in my TV contracts, I, like I'm an editor and there's always a clause that says the production has the right to use like any recordings of you they may shoot or any, you know, vocalizations that you make anywhere in the world for advertising for whatever purpose in perpetuity. So like behind the scenes, whatever you want. So I imagine like, you know, if, if, you know, if they shoot your face for something and you've given, um, you've signed off in a contract. Yeah. It's totally okay for them to use your face. Um, I have no idea like that. It's scary that way, but. Yeah, I guess, uh, hey, if they're going to de-age me like 50 years from now, that's totally fine with me. <laughs> well, I know like, uh, yeah, when it comes to de-aging, where people seem to not really have a big, big problem, maybe because the franchise isn't 
really that big, like no one really gives a shit, I guess, was the Resident Evil movies because, you know, Mila Jovovich technically was like this kind of, you know, mutant girl who shouldn't be aging, but realistically is aging over the course of seven movies. So the reason why budget kept going up was part in, you know, part because uh, visual effects artists had to work even harder each movie to bring her back to the same likeness that she looked in the very first movie. So it was starting to become, you know, uh, know, more expense than, uh, you know, than the the box office was willing to to pay for that kind of movie. So I think that's kind of led to, like, you know, the last installment and said, okay, let's stop this. Yeah. But no one seemed to really notice or care about that. Um, There was a movie that came out, I guess, about four years ago, which some people are starting to talk about a little bit more just because I guess now it's starting to become a little bit more relevant, called The Congress, which stars Robin Wright. And I may, you know, personally, I haven't really looked into this movie a whole lot. I've just seen it get mentioned quite a few times. So I'm sorry if I got some details wrong, but uh, it actually follows Robin Wright as uh, this aging out of work actress who then gets approached to get her likeness scanned so that she can essentially live on in all these other movies like you know you'll go on and die but we'll be able to use your likeness recreate it for these movies and essentially you'll live in cinema forever and in a way be immortal so it kind of follows through that process a little bit and that's pretty much what we're starting to talk about now oh yeah well wasn't Tupac a hologram like a couple years ago yeah Tupac Michael Jackson yeah. yeah yeah seem people seem to be going gaga over that but yeah i think there's a fine line between you know when it's appropriate when it pays off me personally i loved going to see rogue one and actually seeing yeah the young carrie fisher and also you know the uh peter cushing as grand moff tarkin was you know, yeah that was that was super cool yeah. i don't care oh oh it didn't look great took me out of the movie whatever it was great storytelling yeah i thought that was fantastic Shocker. yeah <laughs> Uh, but also, it was kind of adorable. I went to go see that with my with my dad, and as we walked out, it was my second time seeing it, so I was actually really curious to hear what he was going to say about that, mm-hmm. if that would because he's a you know traditional sort of guy, and I would think ah, he's not going to be too impressed by that. He, he'll say that it was too much. And as we walked out of the movie, I turned to him and said, "So," and he said, "What? What'd you think?" I'm like, "Oh, the movie was yeah, it was it was really good." I said, no, no, no. What did you, you think about, you know, Grand Moff Tarkin, the, you know, that uh, he was in the movie? And he said, oh, I thought that was fantastic. I thought, you know, he, he was phenomenal. I had no idea he was still alive. Well, yeah. And I told him, like, no, that was that was all CG. And he wouldn't believe me. He... I, I would be interested to see it again. I, I haven't seen it since it was in the theater on a giant screen where I feel like it would be much more visible. I haven't seen it, you know, at home on my television to see whether or not it would be more or less, you know, a realistic effect. But And again, yeah. I, I, I had no problem with it. Yeah. Like you said, unless you're really looking for it. I, like I, th- I think it was a stellar achievement, and they need to get nominated for best visual effects for that alone, uh, if not just have it handed to them. But well, the reason, and again, I think I feel like that was more of a of a storytelling mechanism in the case of Rogue One because you know Tarkin was an important character. They didn't have to. They otherwise, you know, they were going to have to write around it or completely leave that out. 
create a new character, what have you. It's not as if they did this as a gimmick to sell tickets. You know, which, it's not a Jar Jar Binks, for, <laughs> for, for example. It which definitely is, is just not. technology yeah. for the sake of technology. Right. It wasn't, you know, they, there was a purpose behind it. I think when you lack that purpose and you're, and you're doing it for the sake of doing it, mm-hmm. then it becomes gimmicky and, you know, then I don't care for it as much. But if you're doing it to, to aid the storytelling, or especially, I mean, Star Wars has such a, you know, a long history, right? As an homage to especially the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'd have to have some way to connect the two. So, yeah, there must have been a, it must have been a creatively driven decision to do that, not just a... I would a, love to be there in pre-production for those discussions, though. I would have really, <laughs> really enjoyed hearing the two sides of that argument. You know, somebody must have been pushing back against it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, anytime I hear stuff like, you know, about stuff being greenlit, all I can think of is still, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I just, you know, trying to picture the pitch meeting for the idea of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Because oh, yeah. someone was like, I have a great idea. Yeah. and Teenage you... ninjas. Great. They're <laughs> mutants. Oh, okay. Bear with me. Turtles. Perfect. <laughs> greenlit. <laughs> Yeah, Every time you had me at hello. Yeah. Yeah. Every time I think of, you know, I hear something strange being greenlit for some reason, that's what I go to. It's like there's always somebody who will say, "Great idea." And you know what? I think that I would, I really wouldn't mind them actually doing that because I th- there are a number of movies that get made nowadays where I think that must have been a tough sell, really. Like, how did like a room of suits basically just say, "You know what's a good idea? This," and uh, you know. Uh, I'm trying to like think of one on the top of my head. Um, actually, the uh, what was that movie that just came out recently? It was a remake, but like a, of a kind of like obscure classic movie. Um, Kenneth Branagh, uh, Murder on the Ori- Orient Express. Oh yeah, yeah. When I first heard about that as a cinephile, I thought fascinating. That's really cool. But then I thought, who else knows about that movie? Like that's that sounds like yeah. such a miss. So who? What about, the, what about the remake of Point Break? Like why? Yeah. To me, that is a much bigger travesty <laughs> in filmmaking. And I never saw the remake of Point Break. I'm sure some lovely people made it. But why? If you're not going to do anything new to, you know, change it up, like, or again, like, you know, uh, Psycho, the shot-by-shot remake. Oh, God, don't even be started on Psycho. But, yeah, to be there in the room when someone first puts this idea forward and says, all right, stop me when you, you know, stop me yeah. when you think this is a good idea. Okay. Psycho. All yeah. right, I'm on board. But wait for it. Vince Vaughn. <laughs> Put it on the screen. Here's your, here's your stereotypical <laughs> bag. Here's, bag yeah. here's a bag with a dollar sign on it with just gold coins in it. Go make your movie. Yeah. <laughs> I think that would be... A fascinating look at it. Yeah, it did. just what the hell they're smoking sometimes when some of these movies oh, get yeah. greenlit. Not only uh, to attempt to remake Alfred Hitchcock, but to do a shot-for-shot remake of one of the most famous movies of all time in yeah. color with Vince Vaughn. Yeah, I think the next one I would have liked to have seen was you know, all right, hold on, not just one, not two, not you know, but I don't know even know how many they're up to, three or four or a dozen uh, Avatar sequels. Oh, yeah. I thought you were going to say Sharknados, and the answer was there are five Sharknados. I think you could more easily throw money at Sharknado than oh, yeah. Avatar. 
Like, how much does a Sharknado cost? Like ten million versus one Avatar is like four hundred million. See now, Avatar to tie it back to our previous conversation. To me, that is just that is technology for the sake of technology, and I know that's James Cameron's, uh, you know, mo. But I'm not a fan of that. It's just. It's not for the storytelling. We've heard that story a hundred times. It's Pocahontas. It's uh, <laughs> Dances with Wolves. Come on. Like, did, yeah. you, did you go see it in the theater, though? I did go see it in the theater, yes. Did, and did you throw on the 3D glasses and uh, see oh, what prob- all the fuss was about? I probably did. I gave them the money. <laughs> yep, and that's how they won. I still don't know, to this day, I still don't know really how that movie took the world by storm to... Like what? What was number one about that? I think it just was James Cameron being James Cameron, which is not a bad thing. He just he always he you know he aims big, and you you know you have to have those people in the industry. That wasn't my cup of tea. I know people who loved Avatar, Mm -hmm. so. And how would you? Let's say you are the editor on a project like that because. This has actually been a topic recently I, I came up with. Not so much, uh, you know, technology for technology's sake, but having making decisions about what to leave in the edit. Uh, you know, uh, you know, the director says, you know, it's not for the story. I just want it in there. So, for example, that could just be look at this big, complicated, swooping crane shot that we got to start this scene, which as an editor you don't see as contributing to the story at all it totally cuts out but or you know an emotion that gets shown on screen like look we got actual tears from this person on screen let's leave that in even though you're trying to you know as a creator as an editor your your creative mind is going but that doesn't belong oh well you know multi hundred million dollar movies or not I think every editor has experienced, you know, their client, their producer, their director, what have you, saying, oh, okay, now put this shot in. I think everybody from, you know, Joe Blow shooting a movie at film school to James Cameron on Avatar has a shot or a scene that they just get married to and their editor has gone, and yeah, yeah. it was, we put all this time and effort in. Yeah. Yeah for we're, we're dream crushers nick we're here <laughs> when the director says this is what i want you say eh, sorry <laughs> i hear i hear you i hear you but no yeah. yeah yeah okay we can leave it in for now that might work yeah that's not gonna stay <laughs> just like several revisions later down the road just take it out see if they notice yeah. oh i'm guilty of that more times than i can count <laughs> And it, well, yeah, but my argument would be, but hey, you didn't notice when it was missing. Good, it didn't belong. So yeah, there you go. Yeah, I will fight. I will fight for something, you know, once or twice, and then after that, okay, no, it's yours. Yeah, yep. There's only so much of a fight I'll put up because really, yeah, I'll I'll let them make their own mistakes, so to speak. You know, but. Uh, yeah, uh, it's not oh, not always an easy fight to have with that. Um, we got a lot, one last topic, but I'm not sure what you've uh, you know, we've been chatting for a little while now, so I'm not sure if uh, what you're looking at for time. 
Well, it depends on the question. Depends on the question. Good, good answer. All right. Um, well, actually, uh, this is one that I wanted to ask you in particular because, as you know, my new job that I've been working at, I don't know how, lo- how much longer I can call this a new job, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah. I call all jobs my new job because it's just the job that I have until, you know, my next contract in a few weeks. Yeah, yeah. So, for, you know, the job that I'm currently holding down, that's currently paying the bills, um, is my first bout into really reality TV editing. And maybe I should put air quotes around reality TV. Um, in the business, Nick, we call it factual television. I'm doing air quotes. <laughs> Sorry, I'm being really sarcastic if people can't hear me. I'm not actually high and mighty, but reality television. <laughs> it's just with okay the bills. That was factual font that she was yeah. using there, yeah. Yeah. You know, sarcasm font, sorry. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so... Uh, now I've added, I've edited I think about uh, like three episodes of one show and now I'm on a new show, you know, starting in my second episode of it, and I knew full well going into it that there's a you know there's a reason why a lot of people throw air quotes around reality TV or factual TV or whatever the hell you want to call it bullshit TV because it's a lot of really heavy manipulation taking people's performances on camera reworking it into something else entirely so that you can almost literally put words into people's mouths, reconstruct sentences, Frankenstein sentences together from two different takes, make them sound like they're saying one thing when that's not what they were saying in the first place, uh, you know, make people you know, look a lot more appealing, friendly, or much more of a jerk, you know, change their behavior. There's a lot of power that we have in a person's performance. And only rarely will I actually stop and question, should we even be doing this? Like, morally speaking, I, the show that I'm working on right now, we're going to screen in front of cast and crew, including the people who starred in it, who are not professional actors. They're just normies. So a part of me is actually dreading sitting in that room when you know they're seeing what I've put together of them on screen and they may come to question like wait a second you made me seem really different than what i was really doing in real life like you you completely manipulated me and i'm sort of preparing myself for that conversation so how do you feel about you know we're almost encouraged or straight out asked ordered to do this like frankensteining of editing so like you know does that ever bother you or do you just kind of brush it off? Uh, I mean, I guess it that whole like Frankensteining and you know manipul that the kind of manipulation that you're talking about. It kind of depends on what type of you know reality TV because there's there's so many you know really different kinds. I don't face that a lot, and especially the last couple of years, I've been doing a lot of home reno, so I don't really face manipulation of the facts, you know quite that much we'll you know tighten stuff up to you know clarify it a bit or you know build up a problem so it seems a lot you know seems like they're a lot more upset about it than they are but um uh that's a it's like it's a difficult question to answer really because it is it's we're making this for entertainment i mean real reality is pretty boring. There's a reason we do it, and uh, I don't. I, I spend a lot of time doing hidden camera stuff, 
which uh, which did make me feel like a terrible person because we were really, you know, it was hilarious, but we were also exploiting people for other people to laugh at. Um, so that was probably the, you know, the jobs where I felt like, okay, what am I doing? But at the same time, you know, I don't want to say people know what they're signing up for. A lot of the time, yes, and, you know, there's a release form. So for Hidden Camera, you know, afterwards they would be approached and they'd sign off. So they had given their blessing for, you know, to essentially be made the butt of the joke on television. So, you know, there were people who, you know, we'd scare them or prank them or whatever, and then they said, no, I'm not signing. I don't want to look like a fool on television. So, you know, that's how I got around that. I haven't worked on too many jobs where I felt like I was really straight up manipulating, you know, how a person came across. No. So, maybe maybe that's just me then. Maybe but, I just yeah. maybe I just dabbled for the last five minutes to no real end. But no, it's <laughs> it's uh, it's definitely a moral thing for reality TV in general, not just um, you know, not just editors, but you know, directing. I guess editors, yeah, the most part. I will say that, you know, not not to say that I I feel like I'm living in sin and you know <laughs> you know I you know I hit myself at the end of every night because I feel like I've done you know such a horrible thing by you know piecing this together and like oh I made this person you know come off way more likable than they are in real life oh how could I uh, there is a if bit you're of not, if you're not going to do it someone else is going to <laughs> oh yeah Where, where's that plaque you know this, well this too shall it. end yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. Might as well collect a paycheck for somewhere. Is that not the right answer? Yeah. Well, and I will say that there also is kind of a sense of pride as well in, in achieving that at some points, in taking something like, you know, okay, this is how the person answered. That's not the answer I'm looking for. Chop, 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 slice, slice, slice. And all of a sudden, ah, they're, now they're saying something completely different. And, oh. and it's convincing. Oh, so, yeah. There's but, a lot of pride in that. And, uh, you know, I feel like as an editor, no matter what genre you work in, there's nothing more terrifying than showing someone kind of your first rough cut, or especially a screening of, um, you know, like a screening in front of either of the directors, the producers, the cast and crew. There's nothing more terrifying. It's also extremely rewarding if you get a good reaction, but it's still terrifying uh, a few weeks ago on uh, the show I just wrapped on Property Brothers at Home uh, we'd all been working really long hours like really hard because it's a renovation show right it's about you know you know, they're, they're flipping this huge house on a deadline well that's not just what the show is about they're actually flipping this huge house on a deadline like you know all of the cast and um, there's the cast all of the crew you know, they're on site, you know, grinding this out, the, you know, the crew at the office, they're all on phones with contractors and stuff. So we had a, like a celebratory screening, you know, to, uh, of the first two acts of the first episode that I cut, uh, to kind of give everybody a taste of like, okay, look, we actually are making a TV show. We're not just all running ourselves into the ground, you know, making this show and renovating this house. Um, 
So that was, and again, on one hand, it was really rewarding. And on the other hand, I'm sitting there and going like, oh God, oh God, you know, this is not just, you know, my editing over the past couple of months. This is all of the work that they've been doing reflected on the screen. And I was just like trying to hide in a hole. I was just terrified. Yeah. Even though I've, even though I've cut, you know, something similar to this show a hundred times for all of these exact same people, you know, it's still a lot of pressure. Yeah. Even when you're not manipulating what's coming out of people's mouths. <laughs> no, I, I remember, uh, yeah, screening or being at the, 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 the premiere screenings of, you know, some of the, the movies that I've worked on. That oh. doesn't get any less nerve wracking. Oh, yeah. Like I just keep constantly thinking, like, oh, you know, I'm gonna see. There's gonna be some huge glaring mistake that we media offline. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man. Oh, I remember. I that. literally did work on a TV show that I was watching. I was, I was, uh, as the assistant editor on the show at the time, and uh, I guess the online house had screwed up because when I went and watched it, media offline. <sighs> and it was Final Cut Pro media offline, like Final Cut Pro Seven. So it was that big. <laughs> red screen it wasn't just like avid which is really the subtle gray (laughs) no it was a big glaring red flag white red and in white block letters media offline so i feel like as long as you haven't had a screening with media offline you're you're still good i think i'd be if even then you've got a little bit of a cushion because like oh well that wasn't my fault whoever online it that's their problem yeah uh i will say I won't say which movie it was, but there was one of the movies I did work on that I did. Uh, it was just a cast crew screening, so it wasn't even like the official screening premiere. But uh, we were screening it for the cast and crew, and uh, there was one moment in it where a mistake popped up that as soon as it happened, I just turned white and I immediately thought, how the hell did no, like myself, the producers, the director, everybody else who like watched this over and over and over again, in the many versions that we've had, that we've assembled this, nobody caught that. And I don't, yeah. th- I don't even think anybody else really saw it. So maybe it's just one of those things like you, you would only see it if you saw it a hundred times, but it was something yeah. that immediately, like I even thought, can I talk to the guys and let me, will, will they let me reopen the edit to, yeah. to fix that? <laughs> but I thought, you know, I'll just, I, I won't say anything. That, uh, well, that leads right back to the burnout, right? When you've just been staring at a screen or a project for hours and hours on end, day after day after day, you be you if you don't take that time away, you become totally desensitized, you know. And you can watch the edit as closely as, or you think you're watching it, very very closely. And uh, you know, if you don't take that weekend off or that day off or that night to go home and you know, drink a bottle of wine and fall asleep at eight, <laughs> that's not a personal story this week. Um, Really, that's what I always do. Yeah, well, I don't blame you. Uh, you know, if you don't take that that time away, that mental break, you know, you're not going to be able to come back at it with fresh eyes, and you are just going to something, some something will get missed. Mm-hmm. 
that's when mistakes happen and that's how oh, yeah. people get fired and yeah that's that's a whole other mess so but yeah. again it's all it's all temporary yep yeah this too shall end i think that's that'll be the title or maybe not. I don't know. Maybe well, this, that, people will see that. Will never end. <laughs> Have another coffee. Let's keep going. Yeah, yeah. Maybe put that in brackets. I don't yeah. know. Pick, uh, you know, pick your inspirational quote of choice. Insert here. But cool. That kind of actually brings things full circle for the episode. Coming right back to the topic of burnout. So really, really, you could just you could just hit loop on this episode and just keep you know keep yeah. listening to it over and over i, I could just lo loop it uh ad infinitum you know on itself and people wouldn't even notice so, hey nick how are you tonight doing pretty good yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah thank you i think that was like that was yeah a really uh really insightful episode and i think you know that we got a lot of we got a lot of good stuff out of you so uh yeah you bring something pretty good to uh to our episodes every once in a while so uh yeah i well, want to thank you for giving you giving us some of your time or giving me some of your time you didn't give josh anything because he's not here yeah well, josh is probably on a beach somewhere eating tacos i did see on twitter that he was eating some tacos so son of a bitch i don't know <sighs> bring some tacos back josh yeah you should yeah. he needs a layover in toronto yeah yeah you know he needs to come on back actually i think it's my turn to go visit him i think that was the deal but yeah, we'll see. You know, the states aren't looking. You know, ah, never mind. I, I won't get into that. Yeah. Oh, the connection's fuzzy. Yeah. Edit, edit, edit. Cut that part out. Uh, well, thank you once again for uh, yeah for hopping on and uh, yeah giving us some words of wisdom and for either stressing people right the hell out with uh, you know giving us an idea of uh, what it uh, could feel like to just bounce back and you know from job to job to job um but uh, also maybe some ways to deal about it uh, deal with it yeah uh, misery loves company right <laughs> exactly exactly well i personally every time i have someone on the episode to talk to it's someone who i legitimately want to talk to because i'm curious about some of these things myself but also when i was first starting out i wish that you know i had access to somebody you know whether it be like articles or you know or a podcast or others you know some sort of training who would give these sort of answers who would just tell me what the hell is you know working you know in on a show like and you know what can i expect and yeah. should i just expect to be 18 20 hours for the first year three years that i'm working or you know do i have some power over that or you know what what to expect at all but hey if you're a freelancer you do you know have power but at the same time you know maybe you don't want to put up with working 20 hours a day but maybe you know maybe that contract is worth it it totally depends on the person and if you're a freelancer it's your own journey into the business you do you I'm, I'm not one to you know I wouldn't be taking if someone were to say I'm hiring you for a job where you are guaranteed to work 16 hours a day for the next few months I'd be like hell no <laughs> but that doesn't mean someone else shouldn't take it that maybe that works for them so yeah. Well, I wouldn't say hell no right away. I would say, well, here's my here's my overtime rate. Oh yeah, here's my rate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, awesome. All right. Well, thanks once again, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, yeah. You, you've added quite a bit to our podcast for the year, so thank you for joining us so many times. Thanks for having me.